Uh, it's good to be here this morning. I'm excited to continue uh, this Hebrew series, even as we're walking through the Advent season. Typically, we'll make adjustments and uh, do something different during this time, but I think it is fitting for us to continue to plow through this series, uh, Jesus is Greater, uh, in uh, the book of Hebrews. As I was looking at this passage, uh, the thing that I kept thinking about was uh, there is a relationship between the essence of something, what it is, okay, and the effect that it has, what it does. You follow me? There's a relationship between the essence of something and the effect that it has. There's a relationship between what something is and what something accomplishes on the basis of what it is. Are you still following me? Good. Let me illustrate. If I eat a high-protein, low-sugar, low-carb diet, there is an effect on me. Okay? If I do that over a period of time, based on what that diet is, I will get trimmer, I will feel better, and I will what? Um, be healthier. I'll have more energy. On the basis of what I'm putting into my mouth, on the basis of what it is, that's what will happen. But in this season, I think we're more in tune with the contrast, right? This season's been about nine months for me, not just between Thanksgiving and New Year's. The essence is this, right? When we put nasty, greasy, uh, you know, saturated fat kind of foods into our body, based on what it is that we're putting into our body, there's a different effect. You guys all know what I'm talking about, right? The kind of effect where uh, there's more love for others to handle in this midsection. Uh, the kind of effect where you need like baby oil or Crisco to just get your pants on, you know, like it's just not coming up the right way. And, you know, you kind of walk around feeling like a big donut, right? That's the effect that it has, like you're kind of, your skin's just greasy. Uh, we were getting, I picked the kids off at the transfer uh, off the bus uh, last week and Silas said something to me so funny. He's like, Dad, I'm hungry. And I'm in the mood for greasy food. <laughs> right? I'm like, and I'm like, no, where? Where are you thinking? <laughs> no, we're not doing that, but where, where would you go if you, we did? You know, it's like Sonic or, uh, you know, Popeyes is right there. But there's an effect when you eat like that. You're unhealthy. You're tired all the time. There's a relationship between what something is and then what it does. Not just physically, but it's also true uh, from a spiritual point of view. And this is what the author of Hebrews has been trying to argue for nine plus chapters to the readers, to his audience. And if really, if you go back to chapter 5 through chapter 10, which we're looking at today, we see that his argument is just going over and over the same themes. Friends, you have the law, the old covenant, 
and it has an essence, what it is, and it therefore has an effect. And then he's arguing also, in contrast, the essence of Jesus and a differing effect. And so we come to Hebrews chapter 10 today, verses 1 through 18. So open up your Bibles, Hebrews 10, 1 through 18. And I think it speaks to us quite poignantly in our time where there's so much competing uh, things out there, vying for our affection, vying for our attention, vying for our commitment, our hope, and our trust. And what we're trying to argue here today in a conclusive way, as this section comes to a close, in a conclusive way, is that you want to place your hope and your faith in something that has a superior, eternal essence. And that has a superior, eternal effect on your standing before God. So today, we turn there and we're asking the question, what are you believing in? What are you trusting in? Where are you putting your stake in the ground in your relationship to Almighty God? Here's what the author of Hebrews says. Verse 1 of chapter 10. For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, 
I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is the word of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The first four verses emphatically show us the essence of the law, right? And he's repeating some things that we've heard before. Because remember, he's coming to a conclusion here, verse 18. He's coming to the end of this portion of the argument, and he's pointing out the essence of the law, and based on its essence, based on what it is, what it is capable and not capable of accomplishing. You tracking? That's what he's doing here. Look at He says, the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. The law is not the real deal. Right? It is not the substance of what God wanted to do ultimately in and through his people. It is not ultimately that. It is the shadow. It is the shadow that really points to the substance, right? It is something that foreshadowed what was coming. It's not the real deal, right? That's what he's saying. Therefore, says, it can never make perfect those who draw near. There's the effect. This is what the law is not able to do based on what the law is. If it could have done that, verse 2, what? That it would have ceased to be offered since the worshipers would have been cleansed. What he's saying is, if the law was, uh, had the essence uh, of the true realities, it would have been able to actually purify and cleanse the worshiper. Right? It would have taken away sin. But it was not capable of doing that based on what it was. Simply a shadow. It could not possibly remove sin. Right? It is... Verse 4, impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. He's arguing with his audience, listen, don't leave Christ and run back to the law on the basis of what the law is, the essence of it. It's inferior. It's just a shadow. It cannot purify the worshiper, and it cannot take away sin. It just can't do it. No matter how much faith you conjure up in it, It will not accomplish the very thing that you long for. But really what we see, verse 3, is that these annual sacrifices are what? They're a reminder. Right? They they thought that if they went in and, and gave these sacrifices, that their sin would ultimately be atoned for. That they could have right standing with God. But what actually happened is year in and year out, as they did this century upon century, generation upon generation, is that all that it did, the constant nature of it, all that it did is remind them that what? Sin is still the problem in human society. And it still remains. So the law was not enough. Based on what it is, the law was not enough to please God. It was not enough to cleanse the worshiper. It was not enough to remove sin. And so 
as we've said before, the law became for them a reminder, a reinforcer, a revealer of the problem. You live in sin and you stand before me unrighteous and therefore you cannot have relationship with me. You cannot worship me acceptably. That's what the law did. It revealed a great spiritual need. It was not enough. I think we're in a season now where we almost are going through this with Christmas, right? Like every single year, right? We're reminded that the promises that Macy's made last year didn't really follow through. And really every Christmas year we're reminded that no matter what American society has offered us in terms of things and stuff and all the glitter, no matter what American society has offered us, it was never enough to make us truly happy. It's just a reminder that that the PlayStation 3 isn't cool enough anymore. It's just not enough. That we need the PS4, right? Yesterday, I was at, uh, where were we, Nordstrom Rack? Oh, yes, we were. We were at Nordstrom Rack, and it was daddy time, okay? All you kids, just sit down, because it's my turn to shop, okay? So we were looking at shoes, and sure, you know, you look at my shoes, they're just old. They're just a little rickety, right? So I'm looking at shoes, and you know, being the frugal guy that I am, I'm looking at the clearance aisle, and so I'm looking at these shoes, and and I'm like, I can't decide. I'm walking around with three boxes. I found some that I really liked, right? And we came there to get one pair, and I'm walking around Babe, what do you think? And she gives me the, the nice no. Well, um, there, what do you think? You know, that means you can't get a coat. The nice no. How many guys get the nice no? See, guys give the mean no. Like, no, we ain't, we ain't got the money for that. But women give the nice no. Um, then you can't get a call. So we're there, and it hits me like, oh, I got to have three? Like three? One isn't enough. And I think that's the season that we're in, right? That no matter what society will offer us, it's just a reminder that it's not enough. And that's kind of what was going on with them. Every year it was a reminder. We're doing this again because last year wasn't enough. It's a spiritual reality. It's not enough. No matter what we do, no matter what effort we conjure up, no matter how clean we make this court and temple and all these things, no matter how much faithfulness we try to put into this process, it is not enough. We're going to have to do this again next year because our sin remains. So the law is not enough. And you think about the monotheistic audience, right? You're, they're talking to Jews. So if the law is not enough, guess what? Nothing is. Right? We, in our world today, think about options, like a religious buffet. Like we just go to the all-you-can-believe buffet, and we just pick and choose what we want. And as long as we're believing in something, that will be enough. Right? Right, That faith itself is what saves us. But what we're seeing here, and what this audience would have heard, so you're telling me if the law and those sacrifices aren't enough, then what is enough? 
See, we don't think that way. We think, well, you can believe in anything you want. There are a plethora of options out there for you to hold on to, you to place your hope in. And as long as you're placing your hope and your faith in something, it doesn't matter. The essence of that thing doesn't matter. Because what saves is faith itself. You just need to believe. But what we understand here and what they would have heard is that it does matter in whom you believe, in what you believe. The essence of the thing that you are embracing and staking your life in the ground is of eternal consequence. That's what he's arguing. Don't put your faith and hope in the inferior thing. Really, he's saying, don't put your faith and hope in anything other than the true form. Because that alone is the thing that has the essence that will give us the effect of holiness and acceptance before God and eternal life. The truth is this. We may not be Jewish struggling with running back to Judaism. The truth is this, though, that any human effort within a human system to gain favor with God and provide hope for this world is not enough. It's not enough. At best, we're broken people in a broken system. At best, any human effort is a band-aid to make us feel better for the moment, but it will not heal our human hearts. Human efforts in a human system, no matter what that system is, is not enough to gain favor with God, not enough to deal with the sin issue, not enough to cleanse our hearts before God, not enough to provide eternal life. So the question for us is this, what do we do in this place of desperate inadequacy? Right? That's where we are. If everything is not enough, we're in big trouble, aren't we? If everything is insufficient, we're in a place of infinite need spiritually. We have such deep need, and I don't know if you feel it today. You have need for other things, temporal, physical. We feel that so easily. But we gather here today to remind you and remind ourselves that we have an infinite spiritual need before God that we can easily overlook. And at the same time, we have absolutely no capacity to do anything about it on our own. Because we're not enough. Really, what we see is that we are not enough. The law is not enough. Any human system with human merit and human works to gain favor with God is not enough. We have no ability or capacity to do anything about that eternal, infinite need. We're in a place of desperation in our inadequacy. We are the Urkels. We've fallen and we can't get up. That's it. That's the place we're in. And so, in that place, we need someone who is enough. We need some work that is sufficient. We need news that will 
change that news. It is very true. And the powerful thing is that in verse 5, we get that news. In verse uh, 12, we get that news again. Right? We've heard it before. Emphasized. That yes, there is this awful reality. There is this deep spiritual need that we cannot address on our own accord. But yet there is divine provision in Christ. The one who is what the law wasn't. The one who does what the law couldn't. Enough. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, there's Christmas, friends. We're getting lost in all of the consumeristic hoopla, buying three pairs of boots. By the way, I only bought one, just saying. Just, I didn't get a coat yet. Okay? Just bought one. We're getting all wrapped up in the consumeristic hoopla of the season, and we can easily forget what this season is all about. Christ came into the world. God's king, God's answer, God's provision, which is sufficient to deal with all of our spiritual need, who is able to meet us in the midst of our spiritual desperation. Christ came into the world. He is what the law isn't. He does what the law couldn't. Look at what it says. He's basically saying, Christ's quoting Psalm 40, listen, the sacrifices and the offerings you've not desired, burn offerings, sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. And he reinforces it again, that basically the law could not uh, do the will of God. All those sacrifices year after year could not, on the basis of what it was, could not please God. But he says this, a body you have prepared for me. In verse 7, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the book of the scroll. Right. So the whole law was a foreshadowing, a pointing to the real deal, and that's Christ. Christ is what the law wasn't. Christ is what the, what the law pointed to, what the scroll of the book wrote about. It's Jesus. Don't run back to the, to the shadow. See the substance. And the substance is Christ. And Christ says this, I have come to do your will. When everyone else and everything else was not enough, I will be enough to bring about your will, O oh God. Man, we need to hear that. We need to hear that. Because in all of our lives, I, I think many of us struggle with, with this, if I just do enough, I will be accepted. If I just try harder and do better next time, then I'll be accepted and have approval. And we do that in human relationships, and we do that in relationship with God. If I could just do enough, and all the time that we continue to strive with our, whole, with our spiritual ambition to conjure up merit and effort and holiness in our own effort, all we do is find ourselves face-to-face -face with the reality that no matter how hard we try in and of ourselves, 
We never do enough. And even our best effort of obeying God is still clouded by just just a smidgen of improper motive. Yes, it's for the glory of God, but I kind of like it when they clap too. You follow me? Just a little. So even our best effort is still clouded by sin. And the wonderful news of the gospel that we celebrate this season is that Christ came into the world to do what we could not do, to do the will of God, to keep the covenant. You see, that's what God wanted. God wanted his covenant to be kept. And in Christ, it is kept. He was perfect and sinless and faithful. He did everything perfectly, always, as he always did and always will. But when he was in the world, he lived a perfect, sinless life. And the ultimate uh, uh, expression of that was receiving from the Father the call to go and become that sacrifice for sin. Because the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. But there did need to be a perfect life given in death. And we see that Jesus is that. Jesus has done the will of God. And Jesus has done what was necessary to sanctify the people of God for worship. Christ is enough. If you you don't get anything else today, Christ is enough. And because Christ is enough, the will of God, all of it, is done. It's done. Period. End of story. You don't need to add any more to that will. Christ accomplished it perfectly for your standing before God. You don't need to do a little bit more. Christ did it for you. He came to do the will of God and He did it. Verse 10. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Did you hear that? By faith in the sufficiency of Jesus, we are set apart as holy unto God. We are set apart as holy. We're acceptable. And by faith, it's a gift. We don't have to earn it. Ephesians 2. This is the gospel. You don't have to earn salvation in standing before God. Matter of fact, you could never earn it on the basis of who you are. But Christ earned it for you. In your place, he died so that you might receive the gift of right standing before God through faith. By that will, by his obedience, by his perfect obedience, we are set apart as holy before God. Macy's can't sell you that. Can't get that at Destiny USA. It's not on the racks at Walmart. Standing before God. There's no amount of money, no amount of merit that you can conjure up to purchase that. You can only receive it as a gift by keeping your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the author of Hebrews is telling them. That's what the author of Hebrews is telling us today. Don't move your faith off of the thing, the one who has superior essence, who is above all, who surpasses all. Don't move your faith away from him and run to anything else because the essence of what that is will have a 
awful effect on your eternity when you're standing before God. By that will, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. He goes on to say in verse 12. He's talking about the repeated nature of the sacrifices and how insufficient they are. They can never take away sins. Verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And then verse 14, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Essence. His offering. His death. Right? Begin to quantify that for a moment. Think of every sin that you have committed in the years that you've been alive. Think of every moment where your heart disposition has not been complete and, and, and total adoration and allegiance to Christ. Think about all of the attitudes and actions and demeanors and, and all. just begin to quantify even the last 20 minutes. All the things that are not perfectly holy and representative of the righteousness of God. Then begin to think about that over your lifetime. Then begin to think about all the people who also did that throughout your generation. And then begin to think about the multiple generations. You begin to quantify sin like that. And then you realize, you would think to yourself, well, what we need to do is just keep offering sacrifices to keep dealing with those sins. A lot of sins, a lot of sacrifices. What he's saying is this, is it really, listen, one sacrifice, one offering of Jesus dealt with all of that. How do you quantify that kind of perfection in Jesus? How do you begin to quantify and qualify the essence of who Jesus is if his obedience, his death, sets us free from sin and gives us standing before God? Begin to think about that. I can't even wrap my mind around that. But Christ's death, his blood, his sacrifice, his obedience is enough. And so all God's will is done and all your sin is gone. Let that set in. Because Christ is enough, all God's will is done. And all your sin is gone. All of it. In one act. Begin to qualify and quantify the, the essence and the glory of Christ. I can't even go there mentally. But that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. He's saying because Christ is enough. All of our sins are gone. And that's what he concludes with, right? This new covenant that the old covenant pointed to, verse 15 through 18. This new covenant is basically giving us what we needed. Forgiveness of sin. Removing of sin. Remember, the old covenant was a reminder of sin. But the new covenant brought forth in Jesus Christ is an eternal removal of sin. It's gone. No matter what you have done, no matter how far sin has taken you, the offering of Christ and your faith in it means this and this alone. It has all been paid for. It is gone. Period. And I know that you hear the voice of the enemy. 
who would accuse you, who would say you're not enough. Say you got to do more, you got to do better. Because look at your sins. Look at how bad you are. He's the ultimate critiquer, isn't he? You stink. You're worthless. You're garbage. God doesn't love you. Look at what you just did. You're a sinner. You're filthy. You're rotten. Text says this. That because all of Christ is enough, all of God's will is done, and all of your sin is gone. All of it. There's nothing that the blood of Jesus, no moment, no regret, no shame, no guilt. There's nothing that the blood of Christ does not sufficiently cover when we embrace who He is by faith. There is absolutely nothing that His blood cannot clean. You have that one sin in your mind. You have that one situation in your mind that you feel such a deep sense of regret about. Or maybe the one sin or one situation in someone else's life that you, you're so hurt by and you keep pointing the finger at. And no matter how many times they've said, I'm sorry, I really am, you just hold it against them. You want to hold on to it. You want to act like Jesus isn't enough to uh, forgive them. Christ was able to forgive them, but you won't. It's not enough. Jesus' death on the cross is not enough for me to let that sin go in your life. That's what you're saying when you don't forgive. You're saying Christ's death for that sin wasn't enough. You owe me a little bit more. That's why unforgiveness is so unthinkable in the Gospels, according to Jesus. Because Christ's death is enough. Because God's will is done. And because all our sin is gone, all of it, none remains. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so does God have compassion on those who love him. This is central to the gospel. Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. that place of spiritual desperation that we find ourselves in, Christ meets us right there. And He says, listen, I've done it all for you. And all your sins, I put them away. I'm enough. Do you believe that today? Do you believe He is enough? You who chase after approval, you who feel like if I just try a little bit harder, Maybe, do you hear that Christ is enough? All that He is, all that He's done? What, to what can you compare it to in this life? To what can you compare the glory and the beauty of Christ in the essence of who He is and what He and He alone is able to accomplish? Again, I want to remind you, you desperately need to deal with sin. You desperately need to walk in newness of life before God. You need this. More than anything else the world would say you need, you need this. You need Christ. You need His perfect obedience on your behalf. You need His forgiveness. 
So don't run away to anything else to be happy, to be holy, to give you false assurances. Don't leave Christ, for he is enough. And this is bouncing off our heart. Because there's still something inside of us, even as we hear that, we're still kind of a little bored with it. We're still, there's something inside of us. Our propensity is to say, maybe, maybe he, we could try this. Or maybe I could try that. Yeah, but what about this? We have this just propensity to say, I'll take the temporal. I'll put my hope and trust in the, in the visible, what I see. I hear what you're saying, but I like the convenient and the comfortable. There's still something inside of us that says, I'd rather have that now. What the world offers us. We're glory seekers. And we'd like to maybe have the glory of our accomplishments. And so we'll go at it without God. We'll put our faith, hope, and trust in anything else other than Jesus. No matter how clear and climactic the conclusion is from the scriptures. We'll take anything except for Jesus. I've seen it in so many counseling sessions where people say, yeah, but I don't know. I think I just need to be, just be a nicer person. I need to do better. And you say, no, no, you don't. And not to pick on people in my office because I do the same thing. I feel that tension in my heart that says, I'll take that from the world because that will make me happy. That will give me approval. That will, right? Are, are, do, do you identify with this struggle? Or am I the only one? But he's saying with great intensity, don't go anywhere to anything but Jesus for happiness, for holiness, for approval, for cleansing, for forgiveness. Go to Jesus. Stay with Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. Place your faith and hope and trust in Jesus, in Jesus alone, because he is enough. Because of him, all God's will is done, and all your sins are gone. Boom. Imagine that. Imagine if Renovation Church was known as a people who relished in and represented the enoughness of Jesus. What would that look like? Guys, people crave this. They talk about, I don't want church organized this, organized that. You know what they want? They want someone or something to be enough. When you look at them in the eyes and say, here's the gospel. Jesus is enough. Nine times out of ten, that hard-hearted sinner is weeping for some reason that they cannot explain. I've seen it. Tell people this. Don't just protest this, that, and yip and yap on Facebook about this issue and that issue and that, that, blah, blah, blah. Tell people Jesus is enough for you. In him, all God's will is done. And in him, all your sins are gone. 
and then see what they say. This is the gospel. If there's ever been a gospel text, guess what? It's here. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise. No words can adequately even begin to sufficiently express your sufficiency, at least not mine. We're grateful for the word of God that points out the fact that Jesus is enough. I pray that if there's anybody here today that's trying to be enough, that they would say enough is enough with that. Jesus alone will be sufficient for me. I will place my faith and hope in him. And because of that, God will look at me and say, all of my will, all of my covenant is done. It is kept and all of their sins are gone. I pray that people would live in the freedom of forgiveness, would live in the joy of Christ completing the work and the will of God, and that we would just celebrate and sing and treasure and relish and worship and adore and obey and represent every word that there is, that we would cling tightly to Christ and Christ alone that we would not waffle and waver, and, and that we would not get distracted by the things of this world, that we would say, you can have it. I got Jesus. Jesus has me. And that is enough. Pray that in a metaphorical sense, as we're living in this world, we would put the boxes that we hold back on the shelves and say, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, one sacrifice, that's enough. And all God's people said, Amen.